Hello, and welcome back to episode 5,678 of Society 2.0. No, just kidding. It's really just episode 11. Thanks for joining us again. Today, we have our roving reporter, Rich Tarani, CEO of TMCnet.com. Rich is a futurist. He is a global interconnected AI mastermind. The guy has his finger on the pulse of everything that's going on out there, and that's why we wanted to have him on today. But before we get started with Rich's interview, let's hit the news desk and see what's hot in the world of AI. So I'm going to throw it over to Bob now. Bob, what's hot in AI news today? Well, funny you should ask, Bob. Uh, Today, I found an article from The Independent. So you can find this on independent.co.uk. And the title of the article is Alexa and Google Home have capacity to predict if couples are struggling and can interrupt arguments finds study. Okay, that's a creepy, creepy heading already. So I'm going to paraphrase and I will quote the article at the same time. So virtual assistants such as Amazon Alexa and Google Home have the capacity to analyze how happy and healthy a couple's relationship is, research has found. In-home listening devices will soon be able to judge how functional relationships are, as well as interrupt an argument with an idea for how to resolve it, the study says. That's pretty creepy. It's listening in and it's suddenly going to interject and say, well, you know, let's, let's talk about this separately. Maybe there's a way to resolve this argument. So the research, it goes on to say, the research by Imperial College Business School stated that within the next two or three years, Digital assistants could predict with 75% accuracy the likelihood of a relationship or marriage being a success. Wow. So AI will decide whether or not your relationship is successful. And hey, who knows? Maybe it'll go down the path of recommending, hey, you need to split up. I think there was a a Black Mirror episode, episode, a Black Mirror episode about something like this where they paired people up. So the article goes on to say the technology would reach a verdict through acoustic analysis of communication between couples, examining everything from everyday encounters to arguments. So basically, it's listening all the time to every conversation you have. Not sure I like where this is going. The virtual assistants assistants would then be able to provide relationship advice and what researchers refer to as democratizing counseling. Okay. That's a, that's a summary, and I, I paraphrased and quoted a lot of the article as well, but I don't know about you, but that's creepy as shit. I'm sorry. Um, not sure I want any kind of personal assistant listening in, at least, if I'm, at least without my consent. If I say, hey, look, I'm, gonna, I'm, a, I'm in a heated argument, argument with my wife. Not that we ever, ever have that. But if we were in a heated argument, I would then have to turn to... Alexa or Google and say, hey, turn on. I want you to start listening to this so you could do some further analysis or interject if this thing gets, you know, out of hand where we're saying things we don't, you know, we're going to regret later on, really. So to me, that's just super creepy. I don't know about you. Um, Not liking this. But, you know, I'd love to hear your comments. So please hit me back on Twitter, uh, on Twitter or Instagram at uh, SocietyWire. Or email me directly at bob at societywire.net. I'd really be interested in how you feel about using a Google Home or Alexa to kind of weigh in and evaluate or offer counseling. Now, hey, I'm all for if you're going to some, you know, you know, uh, marriage therapy and they want to use the device to, to, to 
measure or listen in on the meetings, on the counseling sessions, so long as you know, you're, you're okay with it up front and you've consented to it. So that part doesn't bother me at all. Uh, but you know, just having it in, in your house, listening to it so it can gather data on your overall relationship. So how do you greet each other in the morning? How do you greet each other at night? How do you interact when you're around your kids? You're sleepy, you're hangry, because we've all been hangry. You know, when you're hungry and angry, it is, a, is not a good combination. So having it just listen all the time, n- not a fan, folks, not a fan. But like I said, love to hear what you have to say. So that was the news desk. So back to you, Bob. Well, thanks, Bob. That was a great article. I really appreciate it. I'm just going to prep you a little bit here for the interview with Rich. Rich is, like I said, the CEO of TMC Net. The guy is extremely interesting because he really does have his finger on the pulse of what's going on in the AI world. And we're going to cover a bunch of different topics. One topic of particular interest to me was uh, what he called CRISPR technology. And I ha- I'll have a link of, uh, out to the website that talks specifically what it does and what it's about. So I'll put that in the show notes. And, but essentially what it is, is it's a way to speed up the slicing and dicing or editing of bacteria or genomes. So it gives us the ability to accelerate something that may have taken months or years down to potentially weeks. It's an, it's an incredible technology. So definitely take the time to take, check that out in the show notes. I think you'll find it pretty interesting. Enough of me blabbing on. Let's just dive right into the interview with Rich, and I'll catch you on the flip side. Well, I want to welcome to the podcast uh, Rich Tarani. He is the CEO of TMC, futurist and overall global influencer when it comes to technology. Welcome, Rich. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you so much, Bob. Really thrilled to be on the program. I've been a listener for a while, and I really like what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I'm, I, I'm often on your, on your website and blog too. So, uh, I appreciate what you're doing in the space. Uh, you're not just an influencer. You, you speak, you you interview really interesting people as well and, uh, keep up, keep up the great work. Thank you. So you're, you're, because you're so plugged in to the technology space and you're active in what's current in terms of all the news that's happening around the globe, really, in technology. Wanted to try to pick your brain a little bit today and, and communicate to the folks, what, is, what trends are you seeing for 2019 as it relates to artificial technology or IoT or anything that, that you see as like, wow, this is going to be huge next year and it's, going to, it's really going to make some paradigm shifts? Sure. So um, I'd say that uh, the top things on my list are definitely 5G, the, the continuous evolution of wireless uh, smart speakers are going to continue to be embedded in everything. So more of a dialogue with uh, the technology wherever we are. Uh, we'll see an evolution in some kind of um wearable augmented reality this year i expect uh some some breakthroughs breakthroughs there uh wearable tech in general will continue to evolve thanks to products like the uh the apple watch um there's going to be a continued blend between consumer technology and business that's been going on for a while where you don't know where your your business phone ends and your smartphone begins uh, the future of work is going to evolve. Basically, technology is going to augment everything that we're doing in our jobs. And uh, I'll throw a, a non-traditional one out there, and that is that uh, 
CRISPR technology, which is really in the biology space and has to do with the uh, editing of genes, is going to become a very, very big business. And I can go into that a little bit later if you're interested. But um, I think that's something that, that most techies aren't paying attention to, but they should. Yeah, let, let's dive into that. What what exactly does it have to do? Because my goal really is to try to educate people on the value or or what's happening in the world of AI and technology in general to figure out how it's going to impact education, jobs, their future. The, as you said, the future of work. What is it going to mean for everybody? I just don't think it's being talked about. It's being talked about amongst us, the geeks of the world. We love this stuff. You know, we live and breathe for what's hot, what's trending. This is the Dungeons and Dragons of, of, of today, all this new tech. So right. what does it mean for the, 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 the layman who is going to be affected, but isn't really, really paying much attention to it right now? And so tell me about the CRISPR tech. Well, CRISPR technology, I mean, it's, it's not really related 100% or even that much to most of the other technologies. But basically what's happened is that scientists have figured out how um, – the uh, gene editing of a bacteria works and they've been able to harness it. And by harnessing this gene editing, they've been able to uh, quickly splice out snippets of DNA, meaning that uh, what used to take thousands of dollars and months could take uh, literally minutes and minimal amounts of money. And this means that we're going to be able to do more with gene editing on an inexpensive basis. And so there are uh, there are thoughts out there that we'll be able to engineer mosquitoes to be only one sex so that we eradicate uh, mosquitoes and mosquito-borne illnesses. Uh, other people believe that um, we're going to be able to modify human genomes to make us more resistant to diseases. And uh, of course, it may help with drug delivery. And so because there's such an emphasis right now on healthcare in the world, we have so many people and we're trying to bring down the cost of healthcare. We're trying to extend lives at the same time. It's just a tremendous amount of potential for us to uh, live longer uh, and then more healthy lives at the same time. So longer, healthier lives. And uh, it's all because of this CRISPR technology, which has really taken off in the last couple of years. That is pretty exciting. I mean, I'm, Later on, if for people, I'll put it in the show notes, some link to articles on this if, if we have them, because I'm, I'm just trying to think of the ethical implications of what you could do with the gene splicing or gene editing, because it, it takes the, the next logical conclusion of, well, yeah, we could do this with mosquitoes. What, what else could we do? You know what I mean? Absolutely. Ethics is, uh, I think when we get into the world of biology and, and AI, and, and there are a lot of ethical issues. I mean, it also comes up with um, autonomous robots and what sorts of ethics should we be building into our robots of the future? Um, so yeah, those are important issues. You think um, the driverless car space or just driverless vehicles in general is going to, is it, is it finally going to hit transportation? at a massive level in 2019, or is that still a couple of years out? Uh, the market will continue to grow and evolve. We had a couple of missteps last year with, with some accidents, but you know, the reality is that uh, that market, what should happen is, I mean, if you, if you look at it this way in the U S uh, let's say we have uh, tens of thousands of, of auto deaths on an annual basis 
I don't remember the number as as I recall, it was fifty thousand. Now it's down to thirty something thousand. Uh, whatever the number is, if, if we were to go full autonomous, we would bring that number down dramatically. Maybe we would bring it to a few thousand. Uh, the point being uh, is that autonomous is generally better than humans. I mean, there are some studies that will show a human between the age of, let's say, 35 and 50 is better than autonomous. But pretty much if you're older than that or younger than that, your rate of accident is going to be higher. So the point is that autonomous vehicles are safer. They will continue to get better and safer than virtually all drivers. Uh, but there will still be deaths. And I think if we really want the technology to take off, we need some sort of uh, public private partnership. And that's not something you'll hear from me too often. I, I generally think um, business is better at, at making things happen than, than getting government involved. But the challenge we're going to have is that we're not exactly sure as a society who's at fault when an autonomous vehicle uh, injures or maims someone or kills them. That's our, our big challenge. So it's really an insurance issue. Who insures uh, Tesla if they are responsible, let's say we can say their cars are responsible for, let's say, 100 deaths a year. Um, but by the same token, because these autonomous cars are out there, that 100 deaths has come down from 1,000 deaths. So, you know, the rate has gone way down. But still, instead of suing a person, now you're suing a very large, uh, well-funded company. So things like that need to get worked out. But um, I think uh, we'll see in the next I'd say in the next 10 years to 10 to 15 years, there'll be almost no non-autonomous cars on the road. Uh, we'll continue to see an evolution. It's going to be messy in between because autonomous cars are still not great at doing things like um, recognizing you waving your hand out your window when you want to tell the driver behind you, go around me. So there are some little messy things like that that need to get uh, need to work get worked out. But then we have other things coming out uh, like vehicle to vehicle technology, which will allow all of our vehicles to talk and and more um, have more uh, accurate uh, inter vehicle communication. So you'll know if the car ahead of you is, is has been in an accident or it's slowing down or, you know, had a, maybe a blowout in one of its tires, things like that. So, you know, I expect uh, automotive tech to get better and expect it to be a lot safer. Is that will 5G help all of that? Is that part of of the issue of being able to have a better wireless network to provide for car-to-car communication or device-to-device communication at a much more faster rate? So the answer there is yes and no. Uh, Some of the initial case studies or uh, some of the initial reasoning for 5G is it'll really help with autonomous vehicles. And and that's great that you're bringing that up. Uh, But the flip side to that is that autonomous vehicles are pretty darn good at, at putting a lot of sensors on them and figuring out what's going on in the world. So it'll help. It'll, you know, the faster the the wireless, the better. But by the same token, these cars are becoming supercomputers with with uh, dozens and soon hundreds of sensors on them. So um, they're going to be really good even without wireless. But the wireless will just make it that much better. And 5G will make it even that much better because um, they'll be able to communicate in near real time. Yeah, you talked about the wireless tech and uh, devices like the Apple Watch, and th- you know they're making tremendous headway in medical monitoring with their device. I mean, their new EKG feature. Um, it seems like, and, and I had an interview with uh, a doctor, Sanyal, and he they're developing tech more for 
it's more B2B, but it's, it's the same wearable tech to monitor people. And that seems like a, a huge space that people are really plowing into um, to help, as you said, help people live longer and healthier because just living longer isn't really that great. It's, you've got to live longer and healthier. So are you seeing a lot more information flooding the news market about wearable tech, especially in the health arena? So um, I have a, a friend of mine named uh, Rich Shockey, and he he says something which uh, I like to repeat, but not, you know, I don't want to take the poetic license to steal it from him. And he says this often. He says, uh, the answer is money. What was the question? And I love that, so yeah. the bottom line is that uh, health and keeping us healthy is uh, becoming a bigger and bigger market. And, um, as insurance costs go up, as, as, uh, these diseases get more and more expensive to deal with, uh, for example, cancer, you know, we can keep someone alive now for, let's say, you know, five times longer than we can keep them alive on average 20 years ago. And we've got to treat them during that time. So anything you can do to keep someone healthy and reduce those costs is going to pay for itself. There's a tremendous arbitrage there. And, uh, so as sensors get better and, you know, I, I mentioned sensors a little bit earlier and wearables. So sensors are getting better. Wearables getting better. AI is getting better. All of this stuff's going to merge or continue to merge. And there is a lot of money to be made, uh, in the medical field. We're not exactly sure, uh, where the next unicorns are going to be, but they, they'll probably be all over the place, but keeping people healthy, like heart sensors that, are on you all the time and can reduce the chance of a stroke. I mean, that's, that's a big deal, right? So, you know, a stroke is a very, obviously it's, it's terrible for the person who has it. It's also expensive for the system to take care of someone who's uh, incapacitated as a result. So those kinds of technologies that, that reduce injury, um, and can be, uh, really uh, arbitrage by insurance companies are going to make a lot of money. And so more research is going to go into those spaces. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I had a, another interview recently and we kind of went down, down the dark rabbit hole of unintended consequences of where would the monitoring lead to from, a, from the sense of privacy and insurance. So we, we use the example of, you know, if I work for a company and it, my insurance costs $1,000, but my company contributes $300 to that. But my company is getting data from my wearable or an embedded chip because this person I was actually interviewing, they were talking about they were in Europe and um, one of the people that she was working with actually had a chip embedded in their arm that measures their glucose rate and sends the information to their device to let them know if their sugar level levels are too high. And the 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 question really was what happens if you know my company or my insurance company my employer or my insurance company sees that I'm not taking care of myself can my rates change and and it was like wow that's an interesting you know it's almost like a live feed and 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 the actuarial science world would love to know that kind of data you know to to be able to measure what are the adjusted lifespans and and because it's all about risk analysis at that point, you know, you know, so, what, what, what would that equal? What would that look like? 
that those are really good points and there there are two areas there worth discussing and that is uh the auto insurance market one of the first places where iot started to take off was uh within the auto insurance space where companies provided drivers with simple monitors uh simple sensors that will go on the dashboard and determine how safe someone drives. And if they drive safely, they uh, are eligible for reduced rates. So yeah, I think it's the State Farm Safe Driver thing that you plug in, right? Uh, I that's, think that's one of them, yeah. I can't remember the names often. I've actually, I've seen the commercials as well. There, there, uh, there are a couple companies that are doing it, and probably all of them are doing it in trials. And then there's one company which will give you reduced life insurance rates if you can run I think it's an eight minute mile or under 10 minute mile. One of those, you know, if you can run at a certain speed for a mile, you're, or, you know, a certain time within a mile, you're able to reduce your rate. So the answer there is it's being done already. Uh, and, um, the ACA, the affordable care act kind of went away from that. They kind of pushed everyone to pay for everything, um, for, for, you know, for different reasons, which we can get into at another podcast. But the point is that in a free and open market, um, what should happen is that your life choices should determine the cost of your health care. I mean, I, I don't know if that sounds callous, but that's that's probably the most uh, efficient way of doing it. If someone makes a decision to smoke, their costs are, are likely going to go up and in terms of their chances of getting cancer. And so they should theoretically pay more into the system because they're more likely to tax the system at a later date. No, I agree. Uh, it should be lifestyle based. And you're right. We can get on the Dave Rubin report and talk about some other interesting things too. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. Lifestyle should be key. My mom is for whatever reason, still a smoker. And so her insurance rate should not be the same, um, as myself and, and the same for, uh, you know, people who are, uh, obese and that, that, and obviously some, and there's also medical conditions that can't be helped that you can't lose weight, you know? So there's other factors that have to be played in or measured when you're Agreed. when you're taking into consideration, but absolutely lifestyle should be a factor. But it'll be interesting that I mean, insurance companies again, it's all risk risk management. If they had access to data in real time or semi real time, they would use that to their advantage. And I think that's one of the, as you pointed out, they're already doing it. If you're you're volunteering to provide your safety or your driving habits to them, it's basically like crowdfunded driving record to determine or better determine what the risk, because they're probably using that same data to adjust their rates overall, you know, based on age category categories and demographics. So now, factor, factor in what we talked about a little bit earlier with CRISPR, where the human genomes already been, um, it's been uncovered and we, we've pretty much determined what it is. And now we're able to figure out what those genes do. And within the next three to five years, we'll probably have a good handle on almost all of the genes, what everyone does, what which genes make you more susceptible to which diseases. Take and out the bad driver gene. That would be great. Say that again? Take out the bad driver gene. <laughs> Start with me. Uh, at least the, the, the heavy, the lead foot, the lead foot gene. Um, and I, need the, I, need the, I need them to eject me with the uh, use your turn signal gene. <laughs> that would be super helpful for me. We don't have an AI for that yet. I know, really. They should know, hey, I'm making a turn, so please turn on the signal. My wife yells at me all the time. <laughs> so we have these open databases of DNA where people have given their DNA, 
uh, to these databases and they're they're on the internet on these databases to be accessed, uh, including by an insurance company. So I, I mean, we're not that far away from insurance companies potentially determine, I mean, unless the lawmakers step in, but they'll potentially determine your rates based upon your propensity to get different diseases. There are, there are people who smoke who have genes which um, make them more susceptible to cancer. And then there are people who smoke who don't have those genes. Yeah. And then they've said they've done gene analysis where people are more susceptible to addiction. Um, I just read, uh, God, a week ago, maybe that they've found um, they're using AI. I think it was Cigna that's using AI to try to figure out people's propensity for possible addiction to opioids. So they're, they're leveraging it everywhere. When I say it, I mean technology, AI, to try to figure out, you know, how do we minimize risk overall? I wanted to branch out on something else that I know that you're really interested in, and that's the cybersecurity. Are you seeing, when you're reaching out to your network of, of um, the global network, uh, that AI is being leveraged more and more from an intrusion detection, cybersecurity, process for just in general, like companies are saying, look, we're going to outsource all this now because it's become so complex and it's become so technology driven that we can be monitored 24 seven by some remote, uh, knock that can, can adapt because it's getting new data all the time and, and look for new footprints for malware or, or viruses. So, uh, Bob, it's an excellent question. AI is really good uh, for anomaly detection within networks. And anomaly detection could be something like uh, looking at a machine that's been taken over and is now uh, being used to be part of a, a denial of service attack. It's, it's been turned into a zombie or that uh, a server has been infiltrated and its data is being sucked off or that uh, ransomware is on the network and it's uh, jumping from computer to computer and, and locking things up. Uh, and so anomaly detection does a couple things. First, it can look at the network uh, in its regular natural state and determine what that means and what that looks like. And then it can spot things that look out of the ordinary. For example, uh, there's a machine that three in the morning is sucking out, sucking down gobs of data to the Far East or uh, some other place where business is not normally done or where you're not normally connected and can spot that and detect it and signal an alarm. But the more interesting thing is as these networks get more complicated and we put more sensors on them and we monitor more things, just the sheer volume of data is uh, not, it's not feasible for humans, uh, even in almost non-real time, to deal with. Uh, so you need you need artificial intelligence to to deal with all this data. And, you know, Bob, on the, the earlier comment you made, you said something about um, AI training AI and taking all the jobs. And I don't disagree that it's it's scary in, in theory, but we've all been through probably a couple hundred years of predictions being totally wrong. Uh, if you look back at the predictions that have been made, human growth was supposed to uh, be the reason for us to run out of oil. We were going to run out of food. And that was, this was a big problem in the 80s in terms of people scared us to death in the 70s and 80s saying we're going to run out of food and there's no way we can feed everybody. Yeah, we, we hit peak oil. I remember all those, yeah. Exactly. Um, if you remember um, in uh, the Y2K 
uh, hysteria. All the computers were going to stop. In reality, none of them stopped. Uh, we were going to run out of jobs. I mean, that that's a recurring theme. The Industrial Revolution is in the late 1700s. And if you think about it, I mean, God, that would have been a great, great reason for us to run out of jobs. So we invented all these machines to do the work that humans were doing. And that didn't seem to help us run out of jobs. I mean, we've got ATM machines, tellers are gone, retail is pretty much destroyed um, because of Amazon. It's not gone, but it's, it's, it's really been decimated. And yet, you know, we, we're having record job numbers. Um, one other thing or a couple other things that we've been told we'd run out of, we'd run out of fresh air because of smog. We'd run out of copper and other rare elements. We'd run out of nitrogen in the soil. We run out of oxygen in the water. We were going to have an ice age. Then we we're going to have global warming. Now we're going to have climate change. I mean, it, it, it's a, it seems like there's an industry of people that are just, they make a lot of money by scaring us to death. And so I'm not saying that jobs won't be lost. I'm not saying it won't be a, a negative impact overall. I'm saying that based upon all the predictions that have been made in the past and based upon the resiliency of the global economy and free markets, free markets continue to win. They're just dynamic and they, the ingenuity of the human mind to create new business ideas. I mean, there, there was I never knew. And Bob, maybe you knew and I didn't know. I didn't know that I wanted to get into a stranger's car and go from point A to point B and use my phone to get that stranger's car and, and skip the taxi. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know I wanted to stay in a stranger's house when I went to another country or, or to another city. I, I, I wasn't aware of that. Yet, you know, these are ideas, multi-billion dollar ideas that came out and they used spare capacity that we didn't know was spare capacity. And so as long as the human mind continues to innovate and can innovate, I just wouldn't count the humans out. But it is a scary idea when the AI is training the AI. I, I don't disagree with that concept. Yeah, no. And I've spent the weekend watching uh, Blade Runner back to back. So, you know, you have to bear with me. It's, it's a dystopian world in my future. And I want to live in it for a little while. Um, no, no, I agree. I, I mean, I 100% agree with you that it's not all going to go away. It's just kind of fun to think dystopian sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Um, so do you think this year, because uh, there's a lot of talk about it, this year is the year of blockchain? Is that because everyone talks about it. It's super hard to explain to, to most people. Um, it's it's kind of like explaining Bitcoin. It, it's, it's like, what? Tell me that again. <laughs> but blockchain, I've interviewed enough people where it's, it's, there's so many applications for when it comes to transactions, whether it comes to you know healthcare data, um, they're, they're already doing it in I think in the Netherlands they already have a, I forget the name of the program, but they're they're storing data in blockchain and I thought wow is this finally going to be the year or is it just going to be hype? Uh, I'm I'm going to say that I'm cautiously optimistic that we'll continue to see applications and like you said there are some apps out there and probably the biggest application in terms of. Uh, Arbitrage. I always look at things in terms of arbitrage because that's where, you know, if you can spend money to save money, that's generally the fastest place where a market will take off. Uh, shipping, receiving, uh, that kind of market is really ripe for disruption by blockchain. Uh, Medical is another one. And uh, we'll continue to see the rollout of blockchain. Uh, I also don't think you should count out digital currencies. I was just down in Argentina 
where their inflation rate is approximately 100% uh, a year. And uh, it just reminds us that, you know, while we say that cryptocurrencies can be volatile, governments printing currency uh, can also be uh, quite volatile. So I think that digital currency, the cat's out of the bag, will continue to see more of it. And uh, we probably, you know, I, I don't think there's room for 15,000 or 50,000 or however many digital currencies that are out there, but we will see a number of them. And uh, that will continue to proliferate and blockchain will, will grow in niche areas. Uh, I don't think it's applicable for everything, but um, part of the reason for that is it's a slow technology. But, you know, there are companies working on, uh, there's a ton of patents being worked on in this space and some of them are for speeding up blockchain. So, you know, a fast blockchain could have interesting applications, uh, meaning that you have this distributed ledger where multiple copies of something are kept. And at the same time, it's not slow. Uh, to some degree, GDPR could be a roadblock to blockchain. So there are potential challenges with Europe and blockchain. Uh, so, you know, there are a couple couple things to deal with. But overall, I'm going to say the industry will grow. Yeah. And for those not aware, the GDPR is the new, basically, pri I'll keep it simple. It's the privacy laws that are in place in Europe um, that put a heavy burden on industry to allow people to know what you know about them, essentially. And there's been recently a law passed in California here that is is somewhat trying to achieve what GDPR did in Europe, but at a state level, uh, which in my opinion is a nightmare because if we adopt a state-by-state -state interpretation of how we want to do things, it's going to be really hard and really costly for businesses to react to every state. It should be done at, at the federal level. Uh, but that's me on a soapbox. Agreed. Right? Yeah, I know. It's, it's crazy. I mean, it's uh, to some degree we're there right now. Actually, there are I mean, not, nothing. We don't have anything as tough as GDPR nationwide with all in all the different states. But we do have uh, numerous varying privacy laws and, and um, disclosure laws throughout the country. Uh, so, yeah, it is already a mess. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, any other hot tidbits you want to tell us about any uh, big big upcoming news? Um, I think the biggest thing is that uh, you know, my company's putting on an event at the end of the month, uh, January uh, 30th through February 1st in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, this is uh, 2019. I'm not sure when people will be listening to this podcast in case they're listening later. Uh, it's an annual event called uh, IT Expo. It's itexpo.com. And then in there, we have uh, numerous sub-events. We have an event on IoT, on smart cities, on the future of work, on AI, um, lots of different interesting emerging technologies. And it's where where we see things uh, in the future. It's a place where you can get uh, ideas for your business today, as well as learning about what's coming down the pike tomorrow. And, you know, if you're not, I think what I love about your, your podcast, Bob, is that you know, you really help people understand what they need to know in the future and how technology is going to transform not only their lives, but their industry. And, and if you're not always learning, uh, the odds of you being disrupted out of business just grow uh, dramatically. So it's up to all of us, uh, whether we're a business line manager or we're a technologist or a CEO, 
uh, to be on top of the of the trends in the market and to talk with our peers. And so one of the reasons why live events still matter is because it's easy to talk to numerous peers at once and to really have a sounding board to see what people are doing within your markets and even adjacent spaces, uh, you know, because these technologies, if you don't adopt them and your competition does, uh, it could put you at a real disadvantage fast. You could see them having better margins than you. They're able to outprice you in the market uh, or they have better access to competitive intelligence or just intelligence on their customer base because uh, they're using AI in their contact center to determine sentiment analysis, uh, to determine other trigger words within uh, within the conversations that are important for them to run their business. There's a lot happening. It's it's too much to even talk about. I mean, even if we talked every day, it's too much. And you just it, have to keep up by going to events and talking to your peers. And what are the dates again? Because I'm actually going to be down there. I, what what are the dates? Um, so Fort Lauderdale, Florida, at the Fort Lauderdale Convention Center. And it's going to be uh, January 30th through February 1st. Uh, and the easiest way to find out about it is ITExpo. It's ITExpo.com. That's great. Yeah, I, I'm going to look that up because I'm going to be in that area at that time. And this will go out before that event. So um, this way we'll get the word out as well. Uh, I appreciate the kind words too. And Rich, I want to have you on more often because uh, I think th- this is a, a good to, to kind of get people the pulse of what's going on. And, I, and you're right. I'm actually reading a book by, and I'm going to interview him, uh, an author named uh, Jay Samet. And he's, it's called Disrupt Yourself. And it's uh, really interesting. And he talks about how it's always been uh, that as technologies evolve, that the Goliaths, the big companies are fighting each other all the time, but it's the little Davids that come along and actually disrupt them and eventually either eliminate them or disrupt them so much that they get carved up into little pieces because they're not looking at those Davids. And now with the, uh, with the advantages that AI have and, and the, the, uh, the, I don't say cheapness, but the inexpensive nature of some of that technology it makes it easier for people to get in spaces that they weren't able to get into before, and it makes them more agile. They can go after certain things that a customers are looking for, and it could be one or two things that they make a shift on that you can't deliver because you're like turning an oil tanker, and they're like driving a little motorboat. So 100% agree. 100% you're right. You have to stay on top of it because you'd never know what's coming at you. Um, I'll tell you, Bob, to that point, the rise of the app store has been one of the and, the, and the cloud have been two of the biggest fundamental changes that allow entrepreneurial innovation and new companies to form instantly and take over markets. And I think the best example of that in the business market is Slack that came out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, Microsoft within a few years is scared of them. The value is higher than the value of Skype uh, of Slack and Skype really was Slack. Yeah. Um, and it just, you know, it, it blew us all away at how fast it evolved. So it's exactly it just goes to show you that if you have an idea and you can you can quickly innovate, uh, you can do it and you can take on these big guys and, and really scare them to death. Yeah, no, totally. Well, Rich, this has been absolutely too much fun. And um, I'm going to try to get down to your expo because I'll be in the area. Love to and see you. we can uh, hook up face to face. I really appreciate your time. And please, everybody, uh, visit TMC. Uh, is it TMCnet.com? Yes, sir. Yeah, TMCnet.com. You can see all the information that's out there and published by Rich and his team. 
and then try to get try to get down to the expo and and and, and to any actually try to get and and do more uh, meeting people face to face and plugging into what's happening in the world because it is changing so fast uh, and it's important to stay up on it even if you're not ready to adopt something get people out there in your company so they they can keep their pul- their fingers on the pulse of what's happening and of course listen to the podcast. Um, well, Rich, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And happy new year to you. Happy new year, Bob. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. I had a lot of fun speaking with Rich. He's an interesting guy. He really does, like I said before, keep his finger on the pulse of what's happening in the technology world. What's really exciting is that he's offered to come back more often and we can do this roving reporter type, uh, interview so he can give us the latest news of what's happening in the world. So definitely stay tuned because we'll have him on more often for sure. So what did you think? though? I mean, we talked about a wide range of topics. We talked about being agile as a company to be able to shift gears. We talked about the CRISPR technology. Again, I'll have that in the show notes. But I'd be interested to hear what particular topic that we addressed that was interesting to you. Is there any topic or any subject that you want me to do a deeper dive on with Rich or someone else? Let me know. You can reach me on Twitter at SocietyWire or on Instagram at SocietyWire or send me hate mail at Bob at SocietyWire.net. Always want to hear your feedback, your opinions, your comments, your suggestions, your concerns. Um, That's what we're here for. This is an open dialogue about AI. And as always... I look forward to seeing you next week.